Please join me in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I grew up in the Methodist church, um, went to seminary with Methodists from around the globe, and I've, I've worked on staff with Methodist churches before finding my way here. And, and the thing about today's Methodist churches is that they like just a, a dash of liturgy in their worship, just a little dash, not too much, but just to get an idea of the flavor, right? And I'm not saying they're bad or wrong, and that, you know, I'm not downing them or anything. It's just that when I made my way here into the Anglican church, it was like the full cupboard of spices, right? I mean, we, we stuffed, rubbed, injected, and fried that turkey here in the Anglican church. We've got liturgy for everything here, and we dive into the liturgical calendar from day one. So all that to say, I, I grew up knowing about Advent, but comparatively not really knowing much, not engaging Advent. And for me, Advent was really just a churchy way to count down to Christmas, Um, But I never really had the sense that Advent was doing anything beyond just sort of rolling out the red carpet for baby Jesus, right? And I know it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but what I'm getting at is that there's really something more than that. There's something profound in the Advent season beyond marking time until Christmas Day, and and I, I worry. I worry for all of us, for myself and my family included, that we're missing something of vital importance during the Advent season, and so that Christmas comes and goes without our hearts ever really being stirred within us for something greater, for something greater than maybe presents under the tree and family gatherings. It's kind of like how people go to concerts and they spend a lot of their time recording the concert on their phone, uh, and so they can post it to Instagram, and that's great for their friends and followers, right? But they never really experience the fullness of being there for themselves. And so I'd like to pose a question for all of us to consider this morning. That's a way, kind of like putting the phone down to help us start the season off well. And the question is simply this. How are you preparing for the arrival of Jesus? See, if, if Advent means arrival... Um, which is not only about God with us, God arriving to us, a la Luke chapter 2, right? The Christ child in the manger. But arrival is also, and the early church, I believe, would have said uh, equally, if not more importantly, that Advent is referring to the final arrival of Christ. The second arrival, his coming to us in a cloud with power and great glory. That's what we heard read from Luke chapter 2 this morning, or uh, 21 this morning. Those are the things that we proclaim here in worship every single week. We have the memorial acclamation. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. There, you got it. Uh, As Advent, that's arrival. The Nicene Creed. Um, He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory, right, to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. That's Advent. So we declare these hopes together every week. So how are we actually preparing? Do we really believe the things that we say? Are we taking them seriously in our own lives? How are you preparing yourself or your family, your home? Are you helping your community to prepare for the arrival, the advent of Christ? I remember a story that 
came out about 11 years ago. Um, some of you might remember it too. It was about a lady named Jacqueline Caplimo. She was an elite runner from Kenya, and she was competing in a marathon. And around the 10K mark, she passed a Chinese runner who was disabled. He was missing his arms from the elbows down, both arms. And um, so as he was running, he became dehydrated, and he was unable to quickly or easily grab water from the stations to hydrate. And she noticed this, and so she stayed with him. For 28 of the marathon's 42 kilometers, she chose to just run with him, and when he needed water, she held the water cup up to his mouth so he could drink. And as she neared the end of the race, she saw the finish lines, and she saw the leader, and she sped up as fast as she could to catch the, the leader, but she fell just short and came in second place. And so arguably, many said that this act of compassion actually cost her the race and the $10,000 prize money. But when asked about it, Jacqueline simply said, I'm satisfied with second because money isn't everything in life. And I mention that story because it makes me think about this reality that we have with Advent. It speaks to the tension of a God who tells us what's important and often a world that begs to differ. And we're challenged to consider that there may actually be greater things to finish with in this life than the things that we're pursuing that there are greater things at the end of this race than we can even imagine or know. And at the end of it all, can we look back? Can we look back and we confidently say that along the way, we lived with our eyes wide open, and along the way, we lived pouring out our hearts with love? Can we say that? In today's gospel text from Luke, uh, Jesus gave his disciples a parable. He said, in short, look at the fig tree. He said, kind of, you can take any tree for that matter. When, when the leaves begin to show, one look tells you that summer is right around the corner. The same is true with the kingdom of God. And it's, it's interesting that Jesus uses the example of a budding tree because if I were making up this parable and if I were trying to explain these things like the distress of nations and people fainting with fear and foreboding, I don't think I would use a budding tree. I think I would use a dying tree, because that sounds awful, right? And, but he has in mind a tree coming to fullness of bloom. He's saying, he's figuratively saying that the things that instill fear and anxiety and even pain in our world, the things that look like death, are the very signposts to his arrival. And, and don't hear me wrong, Jesus isn't sugarcoating the difficult and painful things. He isn't being Pollyanna here. He's saying that the more of these things you see happening, the closer the day when all that is old will be made new. So what are, what are those signposts then? What are, what are those things that look like death to us? And I could go into a myriad of things. It feels uh, strange to say, uh, but and honestly, I may be stretching the interpretation here a bit, but I, I think actually cancer, I would say, is a signpost for God's kingdom. It's a signpost in that it reveals to us exactly what he will transform. Every rogue cell in our bodies will finally and completely fall under his authority and power and command never to wreak havoc in our bodies again. I think broken families are a signpost. I was thinking about this as I was texting with a friend a couple of days ago who's a foster parent, that in the middle of writing this sermon, it made me think that these circumstances that lead foster families 
or leave families to, to fracture and break and children to need placement in foster homes, all of that is a signpost for the kingdom. It tells us that he will arrive and fully, completely restore the family unit as a holy and unbreakable blessing. And these consequences of fracturing that we see in, in the children of foster care, the, the consequences on their mental health and attachment issues and trauma that so many of them deal with will all be reversed. I think war is a signpost. The, the hatred of nation against nation and the violent grasp for power and wealth, the gross abuse of people and systems, these things shine a spotlight on what Jesus will address upon his advent so that never again will injustice or killing in the name of peace or harming in the name of an uh, ideology be found. Never again will people be held in a state of fear and systemic abuse. Never again will inequality be this tinted lens through which we see and understand our society. Ruth Haley Barton said that it's during Advent that we occupy our greatest longings. I love that. We occupy our greatest longings. So Advent means that every deep longing of our lives, these longing for restoration, for hope and joy and peace and love, these longings even for the people who have died and gone before us that we miss so deeply will be made right once and for all. That's Advent. So how are we preparing for it? Are we opening up? Are you opening up and making space for the Spirit to bear witness in and through your life to the truth of Jesus? In other words, God's presence is available to us now on a daily basis through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And and what the Spirit does is He prepares the way for Christ in the wilderness of our lives. In the wilderness of our lives. Is that happening in your life? Let me ask it this way. So despite everything else going on in your life, despite what you face, the hurt, the heartache, are you becoming a person of love? Are you becoming a person of joy or of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? Is that being born in your life daily? That's what we heard read from Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. He, he prays for them and he encourages them to love one another. And he says, so that, there's a purpose to it, so that, God may establish their hearts blameless in holiness at the coming of our Lord Jesus. There's work to be done now in preparation for Christ who is to come. So how do we prepare? We love. We love. We love God and, and we love one another. And by way of loving, we forgive. We honor and serve. We create space for others in our lives. We're slow to speak. We're quick to listen. We comfort we mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. We reach out, we, we give away and we give of ourselves. We care for the least and the lost, the hurting and the marginalized. And we take up their cause because summer, Jesus said, is near. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who were troubled in soul who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. My 
mother was one of four sisters, and she was estranged from her oldest sister for a long time. It, it all happened after the death of, of their parents, and they were doing this hard work of going through the estate and who gets what. And in the middle of it all, a lot of hurtful things were said and done. Um, it's unfortunately a common story, as some of you know. But it was over 20 years before they spoke again, and I don't remember all of the details, but at some point her sister was diagnosed with cancer. And while she battled cancer, especially near the end, my mom didn't leave her side. She, she packed up, she got everything she could into her car, and she drove to Mississippi, and she sat by the bedside of her sister all the way through. She bathed her, wiped her, dressed her, fed her, cleaned her. She stayed by her side. She poured herself out in the selfless gift of of helping her sister to die well. And after my mom died in in August of last year, I was going through her phone and I found a note that she had typed out to me about a month before she had passed. Um, She somehow knew that her time was coming to an end and among other things in the note, my mom said this, that she was looking forward to being with her sister again. She said she could envision it clearly, laughing and playing together as girls and sisters in the company of Jesus. That's how we prepare for Advent. It's living every moment, especially the difficult ones, with the expectation of God's presence and the anticipation of God's grace. That he would move and work and speak to us, guiding us, comforting us, reminding us of what's to come. When we love well, we prepare well. So please join me in prayer. I'd like to to pray this uh, Advent prayer from uh, the scholar and writer Walter Brueggemann. In our secret yearnings, we wait for your coming. And in our grinding despair, we doubt that you will. And in this privileged place, we are surrounded by witnesses who yearn more than do we, and by those who despair more deeply than do we. Look upon your church and its pastors in the season of hope, which runs so quickly to fatigue, and in the season of yearning, which becomes so easily quarrelsome. Give us the grace and the impatience to wait for your coming to the bottom of our toes, to the edges of our fingertips. Come in your power and come in your weakness, in any case, and make all things new. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.